Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi guys, it's Tony here. Just before you're about to listen to the show that's released this week, I just want to give you a little bit of a warning that some of the themes over this week and next week's part two episode and in the future, I think I've got a little prologue uh, for you to listen to in a week, few weeks' time, um, do, do, does cover off, cover off war themes and um, some... Um, not coarse language but certainly some heavy themes so if you've got anyone young listen to this and you're not sure about it listen to it through first uh, and then listen back uh, and then let them listen hopefully as i said i've tried not to make it too dark um and i hope i haven't made we haven't um made too much levity of a heavy subject i don't think we have uh either way um do enjoy the show and uh yeah see you next week bye Hi guys, welcome to this week's episode of Heavy Metal Tones. Um, it's a different recording room today, so if the sound sounds different, it's because I'm in my kitchen, um, as the recording studio upstairs is not ready yet for two people. And as you might have noticed by the um, little blurb, this week's episode, we have a guest in the studio, slash kitchen, slash house, um, Benji Murphy, my very good friend and gig partner and all-round all war nut. Um, and music head like me. Um, it's a bit of a, we're going to do sort of a bit of a, uh, an unusual one. We're going to do a sort of answer and call sort of type um, program where I'll, we'll both be talking about the music, and, and, and it's, it's, but what Benji will be doing is bringing you um, track by track sort of historical insights into um, the songs because Sabaton, the band that we are talking about now, Sabaton, um, are. Uh, a Swedish heavy metal band that formed in 1999. Um, they are also considered sometimes um, a power metal band. You might want to go back to one of my episodes way back in the past where I did um, one of the uh, one of the episodes was uh, I think it was coat of arms. Thank you. I went completely old man blank. Um, and the thing that really um, draws Benji particularly to this band and me as well is is that you don't just put on the song and it's you know fluff and guff and dragons and swords it's it's stuff that um it is really powerful and poignant and it comes across in the music um 
this we're going to start off with the band with the album the great uh, war the great war the great war because um that's the first album where it's continuously the same uh, subject matter from beginning to end. Otherwise, what they usually do is sort of go back and forth with different war type type themes, um, uh, and they sort of try and match it with the music. Um, so I'm going to hand you over to Benji for the first one and the second. And I do apologise about the mic sounding people. We are sharing a mic. I, he did bring a mic over. I did spend about an hour and a half trying to set it up, and uh, um, my old laptop, I think, is just doesn't want to know. Um, Anyway, I'll hand you over to Benji, and the first ep- the first information is. Hey guys, this is Benji, uh, re uh, reoccurring guest. Good to be here. Yeah, so nice we... to have you back. Really good to have you here, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So today we're discussing uh, the Great War by Sabaton. So it was released in 2019, and it is their ninth studio album. Uh, like Tony mentioned, deals exclusively with uh, the Great War or the First World War. And uh, yeah, let's get into it. Let's get into it. So what's the first track on the album? So the first track is The Future of Warfare, ah. which, is, uh, which is quite interesting. Um, so it sort of deals with both the battles of Fleurs Corselet and the second battle of Villas Bretonau. Say that when you're drunk. So yeah, let's just uh, <laughs> establish there will be a lot of French names that I will mispronounce. Let's just get used to that. <laughs> and Polish and various other European names. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So the Battle of Fleurs Corselet was um, part of the Battle of the Somme. It was... Um, so the Battle of the Somme was started to sort of help relieve the French at Verdun. So if you don't know much about Verdun, we'll get to that. Good, good. I'm, 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 I'm willing to learn here. Absolutely. This is a uh, going to be a learning podcast. And let me also say, any information that is incorrect is entirely my fault. I oh. took all the historical notes, so that's that's my bad. I take them, but they'll be hysterical <laughs> notes. That's second right. So the thing about so before we get onto the notes of the uh, of the first song, so I listened to that again yesterday on the way back from a gig in Sydney. And I found that that as a band, they managed to capture. Of course, you know, neither no one alive, apart from a few people, maybe, but no one who's going to listen to this podcast is, is going to have any memory or physical memory of how the battle would have felt uh, and been. I mean, there's lots of writing, but it's very it's easy in a heavy metal genre, I think, to make music just be loud and heavy. Um, that doesn't always equate to it being in the trenches or the feel of war, right? So I think what Sabaton do really well is they do em- emote that sense of... Oh, my chair. They do emote that sense of um, of despair and I think of... of, of not death, it's the wrong word, cause, but I think of... Um, I don't know, maybe... Uh, what's the right word? What they, how do you think they emote it? It's despair and, and anguish, maybe? Um, a sense of... Um, of um, bewilderment because a lot of these kids turn, turned up to go to war and no idea what was happening, right? Yeah, I mean, I, s- I suppose early on in the war you've still got that uh, that sort of heroism and the, the romanticism of war. It's not until a little bit later that that sort of gets crushed out of everyone everywhere. Mm. Sorry, I'll let you carry on. No, no, all good. All good. So, uh, yeah, so the first battle of... 
Flair's Cossolette. It was on the 15th of September 1916. So it was important because it marked the introduction of tanks to the battlefield, the first tanks. I mean, tanks had sort of made appearances here and there, but very unsuccessfully, and they were, um, well, still a work in progress, basically. Most of the technologies during the First World War was sort of people coming up with things at the time, whatever whatever they thought could help, flying by the seat of their pants. Yeah, I suppose no warfare hadn't been fought at this ever like this before, had it? So this is this is relatively new. I mean, there had been some kind of trench warfare previously, but this is like on a, on industrial level, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So the Napoleonic War was sort of the first introduction of war on a mass mass scale. Mm. And the destruction on a mass scale, not just small sort of, you know, little battlefields. These were these were battles that in, encompassed sort of everything and sucked everything in and destroyed everything. And, um... And we'll just spend, he's just going to get a drink there for a second. He's got to clear his throat there. I don't blame him. I've got my tea as well. Yes, there you go. Sorry, just taking a sip of my fine Japanese beer while we discuss fine Swedish metal in a cold Canberra kitchen. <laughs> very international today. <laughs> That's the way. All right, so yeah, so the ideas of tanks had sort of been kicking around for a, for a few years. They needed... Everybody realised very rapidly in the First World War, sort of once it descended into sort of trench warfare, that there was... N- we needed some way of getting dudes from one one place to another without being absolutely annihilated. Some sort of armoured transport. And I know Winston Churchill was a big proponent of the uh, the tanks, or the land battleships, as they were originally known, as he sort of put forth. Mm. Sorry, that was my squeaky chair. Squeaky chairs going on. Mm. And so... Um, yeah, yeah, so Churchill was a big proponent, so they, um, being the first Lord of the Admiralty, he had a bit of pull in the First World War, so they, um, yeah, the first, uh, the first British tanks were sort of introduced around this time. And at, I, at around this battle, around the Somme? Yeah, yeah, around this battle, so like I say, they'd been trialled a couple of times in a few previous battles to mm. sort of hit and miss, they were... Very, very, obviously very new. They'd only just been invented and weren't very reliable. I mean, ultimately, they didn't have to be terribly reliable. You just had to sort of be able to get from point A to point B without being killed horribly. Were they also there, uh, were they there to breach the, the, built in such a way they would breach the, the, um, the, the, the trenches? Or was it just to get them from one trench to another? No, absolutely. If you have a look at the, the early Churchill, um, Mark tanks, 1s. The Mark 1s. Mm. They are deliberately designed to be... And I mean, these things are massive. I mm. mean, tanks today are huge, but the World War One tanks, they're basically giant armoured school buses, if you have a look at them. And I think the idea was that they could sort of easily traverse trenches and ditches and sort right. of get across the uh, the no-man's land. Yeah, with all sort of mines and stuff going Yeah, off. yeah, with mm. the mines and the, um, and the shell holes everywhere and just the moonscape that... Mm. the artillery turned yeah. the countryside into. Yeah, because I find that, that, again, listening to the, the music, you do get that feel. You can almost feel the shells going off. It's a, it's a very emotive uh, piece of music, I think, for that particular track. Uh, quite a uh, interesting opening 
number as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to say the uh, the film clips that the guys do are also quite quite good. Mm. And um, the film clip for this song is is very interesting because the um, the whole film clip's made out of Lego. See, isn't that fantastic? <laughs> Don't you love that? I mean, I mean, there is this. It's such a great, um, delicious juxtaposition, isn't it? You know, um, music is by its definition a a, a, a fleeting mo- medium, right? It's here and it's gone. Oh, there's my phone. You can ignore the phone ringing. I'm not going to answer it. Um, there's the uh, your, your fleeting background music. You know, music comes and goes. It, it, you, you either forget it or you remember it, right? Um, war, to some extent, uh, is the same sort of thing. You know, it's there for that moment and then over time it disappears. And But the, these great musicians then use, you know, a modern... Um, uh, permanent toy you know something that once you make it is there forever sort of thing and use it to make uh, to to represent um such a you know such almost as this whimsy in the toys it put such sadness in the music yeah you know? absolutely absolutely it is an interesting juxtaposition as yeah. you say yeah i think it's fantastic i love the video <laughs> yeah it is a great video i'm a fan of all their videos mm. i i must say but, uh, yeah, so the first half of the song was the, the Battle of Fleurs Corselet, which is sort of the, the first tanks to make their appearance. Mm. The second half of the song is about uh, the Second Battle of Villas Bretonneau, which on the 24th of April 1918 marked the very first tank-on-tank battle. Really? The Germans had them then? So the Germans had been working on their own... Uh, version of the tanks, the A7V, and if you've ever seen them, they're even bigger than the Churchill tanks. Uh, no disrespect to my German listeners, but typically German. I've, uh, if you ever, if you happen to live in Canberra, um, the Australian War Memorial had one of the only, I think, intact A7Vs in the world. So even, so even um, the, the Bovington doesn't have it in the UK. I think they might have one. But because um, I know the Australian forces captured a, a German A7V tank at the end of the at the First World War and brought it back as a sort of a war trophy. Oh, wow! What and a, it, what a it actually lives at the Royal Artillery Museum up in Queensland. Is its permanent home, but it uh, it got lent to the Australian War Memorial for a few years, and I was lucky enough to go visit it. And I've got a photo somewhere on Facebook of me standing in front of it. And I, I'm a tall dude. I'm six foot two, six foot three, and this yeah. thing is huge. I have to say, I, I love tanks, and so it was, it's always been a weirdest thing to see them. And that, that size tank as well, I mean, I've seen pictures of it, and it is mammoth. Absolutely, yeah. and these, these things had like 14 or 15 blokes in them. It wasn't a, wasn't they, a small affair. But if I remember <laughs> rightly as well, they weren't heavily armoured. When I say that, they didn't have like 18-pounders, 20-pounders guns. They were not... They had small armaments but it was just getting the people to the place wasn't it yeah it was essentially being able to get dudes from point a to point b without being machine gunned like you. yeah yeah they they were pretty much designed to be impervious to small arms fire and that was about it that's it I so mean, i thought if yeah. if you get hit with an artillery shell you're in for a bad time <laughs> yeah so do you think that's brave of the band to to to, to, to push two them- thematic uh, warm moments into one song, or do you think that was just because they they couldn't stretch it across one? I'm, I'm just it's just interesting. 
Is it because it links intrinsically in one to the other that they have to sort of push it together? Yeah, I think so. Mm. I think so. I didn't actually realise the song was about two sort of separate events until I um, sort of looked a bit deeper into it. And yeah, so it's amazing. Looked, looked, in, it. looked into the lyrics and yeah. uh, actually on the Sabaton website they have um, they have a breakdown of all their lyrics and and sort of a historical section on yeah. all the songs. And I'll, I'll put a link in the in the descriptions uh, notes so at the notes descriptions later on. So yeah, okay, carry on. Sorry, Benji. I am no, no, all good. So, um, yeah, so the Second Battle of Villas Bretonneau. So, while the tanks were fairly important at the time, they didn't actually do that much. It was more the shock value of the tanks that had the most effect. Well, can, you, can you imagine some little Tommy, some little German, he's sitting in his trench and he puts his head over the trench and this huge mechanical beast is wearing its way towards you. Ab- mean, absolutely. In a world filled with absolute horrors. Yeah. Can you imagine looking over the top of the trench and hearing this awful clanking sound and going, what the hell is that? Looking up and this giant beast is sort of cruising through the uh, the no man's land towards you, through the smoke and the fog. Yeah, because uh, I, I believe they were... terrified. Because I believe they went at about four kilometres an hour. They were quite slow walking pace. Yeah, yeah, they weren't quickly. Mm. Like I say, the idea was just to get somewhere safely, not quickly. Mm. Mm. And they were very unreliable. They broke down constantly. They were massive. They were so... Just, yeah, yeah. Cutting, new cutting te- edge technology. New technologies, time. yeah. Like, you know, like, I, um, obviously I'm sure one time or another you're going to talk about the Tommy gun, but the Tommy gun changes the face of small arms as, you know, same as the, 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 the tank. Abs- absolutely. Well, uh, what's the famous quote? War is the mother of invention. Yeah. Nothing uh, sort of kickstarts technology quicker than a good war. Yeah. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Where do we go from here, Benji? So, yeah, sort of, so not... They didn't really turn the tide of war, but like a lot of things that came came up in the First World War, they'd be a lot more important in the Second World War and the times that were to come. Yeah. So do you think? <coughs> pardon me. Do you think that the the, the 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 guys engineering this stuff could perceive the future and that there was going to be another war on this scale, or was it self-preservation? We've got to build more because they may come at us again. I know people like Churchill definitely were very forward-thinking mm. and sort of uh, always expected there to be, you know, conflicts in the future and as mm. idealistic as the war to end all wars mm. was. I don't think he was a great believer in uh, believer in that. I well, he, he was a warmonger in some respect. I mean, he was a great... He wasn't a very good peacetime prime minister, but a very good wartime prime no, minister. No, no, he's an interesting character, Churchill. He probably deserves his own podcast, and I'm sure well, yeah. there's I mean, lots he, of podcasts dealing with him. He oh, was, yeah. Uh, he held every 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 um, ministry ministerial post, didn't he? Except Ag and Fish. I think he was he was like minister for education, for um, uh, war, for everything. He just didn't do ag- agriculture and fish, which is you know quite interesting. I think I would have gone. To, oh, I need to get Ag and Fish and have the full set. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> have the, uh, have the I want to get my set. full set. I want the collector's edition. <laughs> Oh, sorry, I had some tea. All right, so moving on. So we've had the our this wonderful First World War moment. Well, not wonderful. Sorry, it's the probably the wrong analogy. 
Um, but it, or analogy, that's the wrong word as well. Um, anyway, it we've 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 got this windswept, dark, thunderous music with this amazing lyric, um, bringing us through from the uh, First World War into the you know the modernisation of war with tanks. Uh, where do we go from here? So just before we next we move on to the next song. Oh, uh, sorry. No, no, all good. All good. So I've, I've sort of just high at the end of each one. I'll sort of highlight the lyrics that I feel speak. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Coming over trench and wire, live to fight another day. It basically sums up what the tanks were were there to do. Ah, uh, yes, to to push the push the men further forward with as li- little loss of life as possible. Right. Absolutely, absolutely. So I feel that sort of uh, encompasses the spirit of the song. Hmm. And that's, that's one thing I think I do, I do love about this particular band is their lyrics aren't, um, I mean, you know, we've, we've all loved The Trooper and things like that, but, you know, by Maiden, and it's wonderful and it's very um, poetic. But I think with, with this band, their, their, music, their lyric is, is, is more reverential, do you think? A bit more historically accurate? Would you say? Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. They are mm. they are very into their sort of historical accuracy and mm. uh, and and being mm. authentic, which is good. Which is good. But uh, on to the next, on to the next one. Right. So what we're going to do? We're going to take a break for a moment. I'm going to get a nice fresh cup of tea. Benji's going to pour some more beer. Uh, I would drink a beer, but I've been on it all week at, in Sydney at some gigs, and I need to give my liver a rest. So. Um, We'll see you on the other side, guys. Bye for now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. 
real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back, guys, to part two. I hope you enjoyed those adverts and you've decided to go and buy whatever they tell you to buy um, or vote for whoever you, they tell you to vote for, um, whichever country you're in. Um, so the second part is uh, about uh, Lawrence of Arabia, El Arance, as he was called by the Arabs, El Arance. Um, you know, obviously played by Peter O'Toole in the, uh, in the, uh, the uh, 50s or 60s movie. Uh, we've all seen that image, you know, he's on the back of the camel with the white cloth across his face and uh, and it's the it i have to say that this aspect of the of, of either the first world war or the second world war has always been eluded me i've never understood desert the desert warfare um my great uncle fought with um with monty uh, who was loved and hated on equal portions i believe by the people that fought with him um uh, obviously, just uh, Benji's going to have more information on that than me. Uh, again, I think the music on this particular song has that relevance. It's quite windswept. It's quite um, Spartan in some areas, and I think that sort of comes across in the lyric and the the, uh, the the content of the song. But I will pass you on to Benji on to the next part. Yeah. So the next track is the Seven Pillars of Wisdom. Obviously, in reference to the Seven Pillars of Islam. But uh, yeah, so T. E. Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia, as he, uh, you probably know him. Mm-hmm. So in 1916, the um, the Ottoman Empire, which had stood for a thousand years, maybe a little bit longer, mm. had um, finally sort of collapsed in on itself. So it had been known as a long time as the sick man of Europe, as the the dying empire that was on its way out, and sort of. Um, and it wasn't wasn't a sort of a slow descent. As soon as the uh, World War One started, it sort of just imploded on itself. Yeah, isn't it like Suleiman Suleiman the Great or something? Or and, something. Well, this is where we get the sort of the first Arab Spring and all these countries that had been part of this great empire for thousands of years, looking around, going, "Well, hang on a minute. If people in Europe can declare freedom and be liberated, why can't we be our own?" Mm. our own sort of thing and so this is um, again this is where oil comes into it ah the filthy black oil yeah because as the technologies evolve in the first world war we've got tanks we've got battleships we've got you know we're sort of moving from the age of sail to the age of steam coal oil powered things and everybody's gone oh hang on a minute the middle east has a lot of oil they don't uh, seem to be doing anything with it. <laughs> Maybe they'd like to sell it to us or give it to us. Hmm. And so, uh, yeah, so Thomas Edward Lawrence was sort of sent over to um, 
well, it wasn't Saudi Arabia at the time. Just the Middle East. It was just the Middle East. The uh, the Saud clan happened to be sort of the most powerful, the most with it. They had all their stuff together. And that's where the Saudis come from, is it? That's where the Saudi. That's mm. where Saudi Arabia comes from, mm. and the Saudi family comes from today. So uh, yeah, so Lawrence of Arabia was sort of sent over there to. Um, he was sent over there to promise the Middle East a lot of stuff, and I mean this wasn't unique to. I shouldn't say England, the Britain. Basically, all of the powers, central powers and the Entente, which are the good guys, central mm. powers are the bad guys in the First World War. Basically, everybody promised whatever they could to anyone to come and join their side. So you had a million different promises, which are obviously never going to be sort of uh, honoured. Yeah, yeah. Because everyone was promising whatever they could to everyone just just to get allies in the war. Mm, mm. And one of the major ones was that Britain sort of assured the Middle East that they, after the war, there won't be any colonialism, you won't be ruled by Britain, if you come in and join us and help us, we'll take care of you mm. after the war. Big call. Big call. So under sort of that, guys, um, Lawrence of Arabia was sent over there to sort of rally... Rally the tribes as best he could into guerrilla fighters. They were never going to be, you know, proper soldiers. They were basically just, you know, do what you can. Harass, blow up, yeah, whatever you can, kidnap people. And would that be because uh, of, of the environment they're fighting in? I mean, it's like in Vietnam, you know, in the 70s, they, the, the Americans and the, Allies, the people fighting with them had never fought in an environment quite like the same. Would it be the same with this? I mean, surely before then, the British had been... Because the, because the expeditionary forces would have been there before. I, I can't imagine they wouldn't have known how to fight desert warfare. Or was it, or was it, or was it very, very new? Um, I think it was very, very new to the, the people of the Middle East. Like, obviously, mm. they, you know, everywhere's had conflicts and wars, and I'm sure the Middle East is mm. no different. They'd probably fought with their neighbours and their, you know, opposite tribes down the... Yeah. Across the river for hundreds of thousands of years. Because Gordon, General Gordon before, was fighting the Mad Mahdi, right? Um, I don't know if that's in... That's not Saudi Arabia, though, is it? Is it it's, it's around the Middle East, though, isn't it? Um, Battle of Omdurman? Somewhere around there, yeah. I'm not intimately familiar with, yeah. the, with the Middle East, so yeah. for, forgive us for... Uh... Sorry, I was just in, it emptied my mind from a bit of schoolboy knowledge. So carry on, carry on. But yeah, it's obviously like the British professional army had uh, obviously were sort of... Um, well, they were professionals, so they yes. were quite experienced fighting land, sea, desert, everywhere. And I, and I am I right thinking that one of the only professional armies in the world at the time? I don't think there was many, were there? Yes, um, there were a few, but they were probably the best at the time. Mm. Mm. They were the smallest, but they were the best, the best trained, the hardest fighting. Yeah, just yeah, the, because it was fighting for the empire, right? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, sorry, I got him. He had notes. He's got notes. People. <laughs> yeah. He's using his great I've just pad, lost my, uh, and I lost chat. My train of thought yeah. after that. <laughs> and I, while he's looking at those, I'll, I'll, we'll talk about some music. All about I can think of is the Mad Marty now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Do you know, he had a brother, you know, another Mad Marty, but he wasn't as mad. Oh. 
No. Uh, so going to have to go home and Google that now, the Mad Marty. The Mad Marty, yes, he did. He was playing uh, Gordon, General Gordon, um, in the Battle of Omdurman. Um, anyway, uh, the only reason I know that, actually, guys, is because I watched a lot of Dad's Army. And, and, uh, and Jonesy fought at the Battle of Omdurman and mentions the Mad Marty. <laughs> so I'm not intelligent. I've just watched a lot of shit TV. Um, I shouldn't say I love Dad's Army. It's not shit pod. God forbid. No, it's fantastic. Um, anyway, so uh, musically, while he's getting, getting his head around the notes, uh, this is a music podcast, but it's also this uh, history one, this one as well. Um, I think that if you're going to look for a band that's going to enthrall you and entice you and keep you on your toes as much as, say, Maiden might do, and I think they're one of the ones that do that the, the best, um, I think Sabbath or Sabaton, I, I couldn't pronounce it incorrectly. Sorry, guys. It, it it's, means metal shoe. It's a little shoe, isn't it, on an armoured shoe? Yeah, so a Sabaton is a knight's armoured boot. Yeah, Sabaton, there you go. A knight's armoured no, boot. The pointy boot. A pointy wore. boot. The one to kick you in the nuts, you know about it. Um, so, anyway, or up the arse, whatever you want to choose. Um, you, could, you come to Australia, you might get a booting. But uh, that's a Simpsons reference for anyone. That one of our proudest traditions. One of our proudest traditions. Thank you very Mr. much, Mr. Prime Minister. Um, so, as I said, if you're if you're looking for music that's something that's going to enthrall you musically and really hold you um, to the lyric, and I think that their music really does um, staple itself. It sort of you know super glues itself to the to the lyric in such a way that you couldn't um, you couldn't separate them. You know, it, 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 it just would, one without the other, particularly on this particular band. That's why they could never do real instrumentals. I mean, I think it's the words, um, uh, whoever writes the lyrics, and again, I, Benji would know more about the lyrics than me, but uh, he's uh, being such a big fan. Um, but uh, it it clearly, it, it, as I said, they write it with reverence, and you can see what Benji's getting out of this. I mean, all this information he's got from his songs, he's got by just searching, and I think that's what this band wants you to do. It's so that... You research it and read about it, and it doesn't. We're not glorifying. I just want to put that out there. None of us, Benji and I, are not glorifying war. This isn't, you know, we're not um, kids in a park with cap guns, right? Um, it, it's it is a, it is a reverential thing. I think it's it's about it's about remembering and 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 um, and learning. I think a lot of the time. But anyway, over to Benji. He's got his notes back now, and we'll carry on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Learning is um, is the key. A lot of the songs, if I'm not intimately familiar with the subject matter, I'll listen to it and go, hey, that was really interesting. I'm going to go look that up on Wikipedia or Google it or whatever, look deeper into the subject matter, and I think that's that's fantastic. Mm. That's um, I think that's what the band wants you to do. I think it does, and that's I think that's their strength. I think that is their... Because there's a lot of metal out there, as you know that, guys. There's infinite, infinite amounts of music, um, and and sometimes it gets bands like will get lost in the wash. And I think um, bands like Sabaton will not because they have that 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 slightly difference to them. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the uh, all the boys themselves are all big history fans. There we go. You see, very very deep into it. Mm. Um, not just, I mean, anybody can write a sort of an edgy song about the war or Nazis or, or this, that, and the other. It doesn't mean you're, uh, you know, no, it's your it's your particular thing or that you're into. But yeah, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, so Lawrence was was quite successful. He managed to sort of rally all the um, all the Arab clans together and um, under the promise of a of a free United um, Middle East, which obviously didn't happen. 
Um, so yeah, so near the end of the war, um, so this is sort of where we get into the realpolitik, mm. as it's called, of war, where mm. it comes down to realistic politics. Yeah, so not just thing. not just I'll give you this if you do that. The actual nitty gritty. Yeah, nuts this and is bolts. where it comes down to sort of the mm. human element of politics, mm. sort of thing. And so uh, France and Britain, un, unknown to to Lawrence or the Middle East, actually signed what is known as the Sykes Picard Agreement. Let me have a look. What's it? Where you written it? P I C O T. Picou. 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 Yeah. Something. Uh, Apologise to all those French listeners yes, out there. Yes, apologies, we have listeners. destroyed your mother tongue. <laughs> so basically France and Britain signed an agreement, a secret treaty, that after the war that the Middle East would be divided up between the two biggest colonial powers, obviously, Ooh. Britain and France. Yeah, yeah. Which did not go down terribly well with the Middle East. No, I was basically lied to them, that's why. So, uh, Lawrence was actually told about this and was absolutely horrified and was sort of like, well, mate, I've, I've given all these sort of promises to these people in good faith and they've, you know, helped us fight and do this and that. And, no, doesn't matter. This is do how you, it's going to be. Do you, think, do you think that Lawrence, because he could speak the language, he'd become not native, but he'd understood what was happening in there, more so than these, you know, white-collared shirt workers in yeah, Whitehall. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, like, I haven't I haven't seen the movie Lawrence of Arabia, I haven't read any of his memoirs or anything like that, but as as far as I could tell, he, he'd he basically been accepted by these people. He, he lived with them, he... Yeah, so he became part of that's why he, he was he upset. Did, he yeah. did sort of, uh, lack of a better term, he did go native. Yeah, yeah. He adopted all their sort of uh, their traditions and all the any of the pictures you see. It's, it's him in the traditional sort of like the flowing robes yeah. and the. Do you think? Do you think part of his indignation is that he would be blamed for it? I don't think he was worried about that. I think he just had such admiration for these people. Well, they're they're a proud and 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 and, and loyal people, aren't they? Absolutely, mm. that they were a proud and loyal people that he managed to convince to sort of come to his side and help. And help mm. the motherland, as it were. And, and um, do you think that? Sorry, on a separate note, do you think that this is actually one of the most vital parts of war, of the war? Do you think without the ally? Sorry, call the allies. What they called in the First World War? Ah, uh, the they are the triple entente. The triple entente. So like entente cordiale, right? So do you think the triple entente of the First World War? Do you think they would have? If it's easy, we'll just call them the allies. allies. Everybody's familiar with yeah. that. Yeah. Do you think the allies would have won the war? Without the interaction of the uh, of the oil from the, the Middle East, look, I think so. The Middle East and Africa weren't terribly important in the First World War. There were things going on. Obviously, the Germans had well, everybody had territories in mm. Africa at the time, mm. and it was more sort of just defending those territories. Right. Like, so, so what? Because I mean, obviously, Russia has oil fields. Um, and the Baltic states have oil fields. They would not have gone for those? No. So Russia, very early on, was knocked out of the First World War. Mm. I mean, they'd uh, sort of just gone through their... Uh, well, they were in the middle of several revolutions. Oh, of course. Yes, the Russian Revolution, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. Very messy period in Russian history. Yeah. So they weren't interested in over so, there. So, no, no. They were sort of more interested in uh, keeping their country from 
imploding from the inside. Got you. Yeah, yeah, very, right. very so early on. it wouldn't have mattered about them anyway. Right. Very early on, they dropped out of the First World War. Early on, they had a few... Um, they participated in a few battles, very unsuccessfully. Yeah, yeah. Which is the traditional Russian <laughs> yeah. start to a war. Yeah, as we know, don't we? Yep. Uh, let's make this relevant. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Sorry. So, uh, yeah, so Lawrence eventually found out about this, uh, this agreement and was absolutely horrified and just so disenfranchised that he requested to be transferred back to England straight away. He went, oh, I'm sorry, but this, you know, I can't lie to these people anymore. I'm just, I'm out. Oh, that's a shame. So how, what happened to him after the war? Um, so he actually died in 1935. Wow. So he didn't really do much after the war. He was so disillusioned with England and sort of the British Empire and how everything was done. He sort of didn't get up to much right. after that. He sort of, yeah, quietly retired. It broke him. It did, it did. He was a broken man. Yeah, that's bad, isn't Essentially. It? And yeah, yeah, unfortunately he died uh, 1935 in a motorcycle accident. See, what a way to go. So there's this proud, you know, colonialist... If that's the right word to use, I don't know if it's a good word to use in the use of the woke people, but he was a colonialist. You know, he's, he, if he's clearly born before the turn of the century, right? Mm. Um, so, you know, his parent is Victorian era man. His parents were Victorians, you know, and so, you know, he would have grown up with this sort of sense of right and wrong, which the British had then. Mm. Even whether, <laughs> whether it was right or wrong, they had a sense of right and wrong. You know what I mean? You know, they didn't. They didn't. They were. They were pious, but they were, in a good way sometimes. And I think that he would have seen that. What a sad way to go, you know. Uh, he would have probably been. He would, what would he be in outbreak of the war? Fifth, Second World War, fifty, fifty-one. So he probably would have had some role in the, in, yeah, in, in, in it somewhere. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. I can see him being involved in the Second World War. With he, with uh, with with um, particularly probably with with Monty. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, especially uh, yeah, his disillusionment, um, and with the the sort of the breaking of the oath that uh, that England gave to yeah, it's funny, the isn't it? The Middle I'm East, a, like a, I say, the yeah. the realpolitik, especially because England went to war with Germany because of the agreement that they had with um, Belgium. With Belgium, yeah. And they sort of, they honoured, I think his argument was, okay, well, we, we've honoured that piece of paper. Why not this yeah. piece of paper? Like, we promised them we'd defend them. Why are we yeah. Why are we lying to these people? Is it because they're not Europeans and they're, yeah. you know, we don't want to get into the uh, no. you know, any sort of racial No, but can you, element, you can imagine but... the blood on the hands now that had the British done what they said they were going to do, and the French, let's not, let's not say it's only Oh, that absolutely, way. yeah. Had the they... French are just as much to buy. Oh, yeah. If not more, uh, no, I shouldn't shush, French listeners. Um, if if you if you think about it and you extrapolate backwards, would the case had they honoured their role, would the world and, and and this is a big question here. This is a big question. Would you think the peace in the Middle East? I know where you're going. You know what I'm and saying. The world would be a very different place. Yes, a very very different place. Yes. Yep. So a lot of. The troubles in the Middle East and things, you know, terrorism today hmm. can be traced back to the First World War. Isn't that amazing, isn't it? All the way back to one person in an office in Whitehall going, nah, I think we'll do, we'll, who cares about Johnny Arab? 
you know, and I'm and sorry, that's not, I'm trying to put a disclaimer there, that's just, you know, historical yeah, acting. Yeah, the, the attitudes of the time. Yes, yes, yeah. But a- absolutely, yeah, yeah, the world we live in today would be very, very different. And and I think this is why, you know, that as a musical, uh, as a concept for a song, it's really quite daring. I mean, I know, I know there's a lot, I mean, war is infinite and uh, music is infinitely infinite um, and you can make a lot out of it, but I wouldn't have chosen Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, yeah, it I is. I wouldn't have even thought about it. It is an interesting choice of, uh, yeah. choice of subject matter. But I suppose like all of them, the more you look into them, the deeper you get it and sort of the more mm. it spreads out. And Yeah, I think it makes, and, and this not this not be beat around the bush here, I mean, they're not, they're a great band. Musically, they're a great band. But they're not setting the world alight. They're not, you know, the greatest band on earth musically, okay? They're just a good metal band, right? They make good music. But when you add this dimension to their their bow, it becomes huge, big, really big. And I think that's that's really a, a smart, clever, um, you know. And they do look a bit like uh, something from Eurovision, let's be honest. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I was very turned <laughs> off for many years because I've I've been a history fan of history, fan of war history. Yeah. For many, many years, and I'd come across Sabaton a few times in the past and sort of just dismissed them. Again, with the Power Metal label. I know. Oh, I'm the not same. Not a fan of the Power Metal. Yep. I'm the same. Yep. yep. And the look, I sort of, I'd see him and I'm like, oh, it's a dude with a mohawk and they're all wearing camo pants. Oh, it's and Action Man. Yeah, yeah. Basically, it's a band of G.I. Joes. I'm like, no, nah, what a bunch of bell ends. Yeah. Not for me. Wasn't until I actually watched, uh, this is a bit of a tangent. Yeah. Um, it was. I don't think it's an official video. It's a f- sort of fan-made video that goes along to the song Ghost Division. Yeah, brilliant song. And it's it's basically a super cut of footage of the Third Reich invading France during the Blitzkrieg. Mm. And it just goes... Like, the images go so well with the, the lyrics and the music that I went, oh, hang on a minute. I've been looking at this all the wrong way. Like, I need to look at it from the historical sort of point of view what these guys are trying to sell me not what they look and and, and all that bullshit yeah yeah see so brilliant isn't it just, just, just close your eyes yeah yeah a deeper look exactly exactly yep. don't look at them close your eyes and listen yep. to the song yep yep but you'll and be seeing them soon in Sydney absolutely end there of you the go. year cannot wait I oh, know I'm, I'm hopefully going to get there I've got to get the time off that's the only thing we people that have to work I mean Benji has to work but <laughs> He, he's more forthright than me. He'll just go. It doesn't really matter. I'm more disposable. Work, so I can <laughs> no, make. you're not. Never, never, never. <laughs> Take anyway, more time off. Yeah, moving on. Sorry. Yes. So where, where do we go from Lawrence? So we've gone from the, the, the despair and the, and the creation of technology in the, at the, first, the birth of the First World War with tanks. Yeah. yeah and then so we've from... gone to the Middle East where the oil for the tanks, which is a really good tangential moment. Where from here? So already it's a it's a world war. We've gone yes. from France to uh, uh, Arabia and the yeah. Middle East. So now we're talking about eighty second all the way. Ah, eighty second all the way. So the Americans are finally making an so appearance. So the Yanks are coming. The Yanks are coming, as my grandfather would sing to me as a kid. The I do Yanks remember it. Are In the Yanks are coming. Look, look, it's very. Again, I don't want to uh, to to I to alienate my American listeners um, because I've got a lot of them. But there is this sort of self-thought around, um, particularly amongst the British, let's be honest, um, 
that the Americans were always late to the war. Now, this is with, this is sadly not the truth. Um, it's it's easy in hindsight to point fingers and say, "Shit, why were you three years into the war? We're already, you know, this is happening for three years, and you want to turn up." It's a lot, as Benji will go over in a moment. It's a lot more complicated than that. This the world is a vast place with a lot of socio-economic differences and political differences, and it wasn't as easy as just going. Uh, British cousins are fighting the Germans just just turn up it's not as easy as that so when we do um, you know watch a comedy and they knock look over their shoulders and laugh the fact that Americans came late to the war be my father my sainted father he's 90 now he'll tell you that um, they always say that the Americans won the war when it was the British well in fact that's not the truth is it be honest because we didn't stand alone because we had an empire so it wasn't just the English fighting everyone, even though they like to pick it out of the case. Um, anyway, I'm going to, I'm sure I've probably tripped Benji's toes there. I will handball it back over to him. A, the, the Yanks are coming. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, mentioning that there's a, oh, what's the old joke that uh, World War One's like a bar fight? No? And, and, and America turns up five minutes late and just starts punching people in the back of the head. <laughs> <laughs> While everyone else is actually fighting uh, at the bar, America just rocks up and, uh, yeah. But anyway, yeah. moving on. So, 82nd all the way. So, yeah, like you were saying, so the Americans... So, this is their first major war engagement. Obviously, they'd been... The Americans had been involved in wars, mm. the, the, the War of Independence against yes. um, against Britain. Uh, they'd been had various sort of skirmishes, like the war against Mexico, which is a very bloody war that's un that's oh, abs- unforgot- absolutely greatly. Not, not to downplay any of mm. these uh, mm. these terrible events, but sort of smaller scale compared to the rest of the world. Mm. Yeah, so, so the the Americans had fought against the Mexicans. They'd fought against the Spanish. They'd fought in the Philippines. Mm. and that sort of stuff colonial wars small colonial wars absolutely and sort of the first world war was their first big engagement on the the main stage with the big players with Europe continental Europe right America wanted absolutely nothing to do with Europe's wars ever no and you don't blame them I mean if you think about it where they are located in the world it you know, a bit like Australia in that respect. The only thing about Australia is you've got the Japanese and the Chinese mm. close by, but um, they don't they don't need to. Absolutely. They didn't need to. Woodrow Wilson looked around and went, we don't need to get involved in this. <laughs> no. We're the, one of the largest countries in the world. We're far enough away from everybody. We This is not our... Self-sufficient. Con- self-sufficient. This is not our concern at all. Yeah. Once we get involved in European conflicts... Where's the end? That's it. Where yeah. is the end? Yep. We don't want to be those people. Yeah. Which is ironic, considering yeah. who America is today. Yeah, of course. Of course. But that's a different podcast. That is, that is a very different podcast. So, 82nd All The Way is about Alvin York. So, Alvin York was one of 11 children. So, he's from Irish descent. If you Google a picture of this dude, he he looks like your typical Irishman. Is he stocky, not, not in a derogatory jawed. way. So he was, I think he was six foot two or six foot three yeah. in nineteen fourteen, which is huge. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. Well above the average height, so he was a massive mountain of a man. Yeah, 
shock of red hair, like you say, just a big lump of a man. He yeah, was yeah. huge. So he was known in his hometown. So he was born in Tennessee. Yep. So he was known for three things. Hard drinking, hard fighting, and being a uh, church-going man. So quite a, pious. Quite a pious, God-fearing man, unless it was a Saturday night and he'd punch your head in down at the pub if you looked if at him. Look, that, that, well, that happens, doesn't it? Hey, I'm of Irish descent. Sounds like most Irish people I know. <laughs> no, I don't mean that. <laughs> So, October 1918, we're in the Meuse-Argonne Offensive. America has joined the war. Right. This is one of their first engagements, is the Meuse-Argonne, which is an awful, 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 terrible battle. Right. It's not one I've ever heard of, to you, actually. So, Private First Class York is acting corporal, sent with 16 men to storm a German machine gun position on Hill 223. They worked their way behind the German lines and after overrunning a headquarters unit and capturing a large group of German soldiers, um, the Germans opened fire, killing six of his men and wounding another three. Sergeant York ordered his remaining seven wounded soldiers to guard the captured Germans while he worked his way up towards the main strong point on the hill. After exchanging gunfire with the Germans, York was charged by six or seven Germans with fixed bayonets. Out of ammo for his rifle, Sergeant York drew his pistol and shot dead all six men who were charging him, which is already ridiculous. What? Hold it one second. We're going to go to an ad there because I need to just take a deep breath. Hold that thought and we'll come back and what happened on the other side, we're going to find out. Welcome back, guys. This is uh, part three. Unusual for us. We have a part three. Um, it's because a lot of information to come across. Um, Benji's got so much. He's so fascinating to talk to and such a great raconteur that um, I want to carry on listening. So what we're going to do, we've decided, we've been chatting during the drinks break, that we'll probably put this over a couple of episodes because there's so much to get in. So we'll finish this one up um, and then we'll uh, and then hope when we'll record when we finish recording another one I'll put it aside and we'll it will come out the following week. But over to Benji to carry on about this a fantastic American. Like a good stout, there's a lot to uh, lot to chew on here. You mm, know, lots of chewy. Mm. You, yep. you, you got to savor it. You don't mm. just you don't just smash down a stout. No. Yeah. But anyway. So where were we? So Sergeant York drew his pistol and shot dead all six men. The German officer in charge then pulled his pistol, emptied, emptied it at Sergeant York and failed to hit him. <laughs> Sorry. How you failed to hit this giant red-headed man rushing towards you, I don't know. York and his returning remaining men, sorry, returned with thirty-five captured machine guns <gasps> from the German trench on the hill and hundred and thirty-two prisoners. 
Shit. that he had single-handedly captured. So I forgot to mention, after failing to hit Sergeant York, the German officer immediately surrendered. I, I can everything. imagine. This one man had just charged him and killed six of his friends. Do you think? Do you think he's the? Um, do you think York is the is the inspiration for Captain America? He may very well be. It gets that feeling, doesn't it? I mean, there's a few there's a few stories like this in the First World War that you just go, how? Yeah. Like, what? How is that possible? Fate. How yeah. does one man capture hundred and thirty two people? And that's and and let's be honest, that's like, a lot of men. That is a lot of men, all heavily armed and <laughs> ready to kill you. Wow! And that's just wow! Absolutely blows my mind. Wow! So Sergeant York was awarded the Distinguished Service Cross for his uh, for his actions, which was later upgraded to the Medal of Honor. Right. So is that like the Purple Heart? Similar thing. No. So the Purple Heart is a wound badge. Oh, okay. So gotcha. any, anyone wounded in uh, combat? Yeah. I believe in the Second World War. I don't yeah. know if it's the First World War. Forgive me, Americans. Yeah. It was a Purple Heart. I, I believe the Purple Heart is gotcha. the is the wound. Medal badge. of Honor, though. Yeah. Gotcha. Medal it's of Honor. Very is high. Very high. The Medal of Honor. So yes, his uh, his Distinguished Service Cross was later upgraded to a Medal of Honor. Understandably. Yeah. Sergeant York survived the war and returned home to his hometown. He became a, I believe it was a pastor? Or he came home and was heavily involved uh, in the church life. There you go. And had ten children. Wow. So he was one of eleven. One of eleven. Captured all these men. Yep. Came home and still had fun time energy to get ten children. Unbelievable. You probably needed a bit of relaxation after. Uh, oh, I think he needs a lot of relaxation after, after this. Those, I think he'd earned practicing <laughs> those ten children. Yes. So just a brief bit of history. So the 82nd Infantry was nicknamed the All-Americans. Right. To reflect its unique composition of having soldiers from all <coughs> 48 states of the United States at the time. Yeah, 48 states then, that's right, yes. Their motto was all the way. That later became death from above. During the Second World War, the 82nd was formed into the 82nd Airborne Division. I thought so. I'd heard of that before, 82nd Airborne. Yep, okay. Yep. So they became, yes, some of the famous paratroopers of the Second World War. And I think my uh, my lyric of this song, Fearless, leading the raid of the war, machine guns on the hill, charge the enemy, taking the prisoners by the power of his will. Wow. Pretty it, much it, sums up. Doesn't it? I've got goosebumps. That's just, I've got this picture in my mind when I listen to the music and that lyric. Of this guy, you know, it's mist. There's... It's deafening noise. It would not be silent, right? There's bodies flying all over the place, shells and guns and shrapnel, and he's charging, thinking, well, I'm going to die here, but I'll take one of those bastards out with me. And he gets 135 of them. Absolutely. If I was in a trench with all my buddies and one man single-handedly charged up the hill, and I'd probably surrender to him. <laughs> To honestly, yeah, this mountain got... of a man charging through the the smog and the haze and the the gunfire. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, mate. You're in charge. Best yeah. thing for everyone. Because when you're running in those leather boots and that thick mud, it's not like you now with all these sort of technologies. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Through the no man's land, battling up the hill through the barbed wire and the yeah, Jesus, and the shell and the holes shells and, the, and the machine and the gunning at him. How does he, how is he not get gunned by the machine guns? But see, that's another. I've got goosebumps for that. Oh, 
Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah ab- absolutely. 132 prisoners. 35 machine guns captured. And we're not talking about handheld machine guns. We're talking about... We're talking about big... Ma- machine gun teams. The big yeah. Maxim machine yeah. guns that were a staple of the, the First World War. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. What an absolute And, and if you think about each one of those machine guns could take thousands of lives, not just hundreds or tens or twenty, but a machine gun like that aimed at a, at a charging battalion of French or English. Absolutely. Would, in, so you times that by the amount it could take. That's a lot of lives he's saved. That's not 135 he's captured. That's 20,000, 30,000 yeah, lives he's saved. Absolutely. That's just, it's, it's staggering. Really think about it. Wow. Wow. Oh, okay. I think we're going to come to the end of this particular episode. Uh, do you think you want to talk about the young man? Young man, I should say. He wasn't a young man, was he? But you know what I mean. Young man. Um, no, no, I'm happy with that. Look, we oh. can put a pin in it. Yeah. At that stage. Uh... Yeah. Let's put a pin in it now and then we'll, we'll wrap up and then I'll uh, we'll set up for the next one. And we'll pull the pin and lob it over the uh, trenches into the into the uh, no man's land into and the see, no man's land and see how we go from there. Uh, actually, speaking of uh, hand grenades, do remind me in the next episode to talk to you a little story about hand grenades that I have that you might find fascinating. Okay, I'm looking forward to it. All right. Anyway, so we'll wrap up now. Thanks for coming and listening this week. It's been a great. I've really enjoyed um, Benji's chit chat. He's such an intelligent man. Um, do go in between breaks for this uh, week's go and listen to the album and then when you come back uh, next week you'll have more insight into what's coming and you might enjoy um, the, the badinage um, I know other long words like that as well like wheelbarrow um, uh, uh, for, <laughs> for us okay so anyway we'll see you on the other side guys bye man goodbye thanks guys see you next time see you to you bye man catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.